Hello and welcome, Show Me Mo facilities, school facilities, uh, podcast listeners, viewers, uh, and folks that have listened to the first five episodes. We're in for episode six. This is going to be a fun one because I have some experience with this guest. Uh, I did something last week that was, uh, in a word, uh, awesome. Charlie Branham and the team at uh, Missouri School Plant Managers Association put together an amazing one-day winter workshop for their members. Uh, They had 96 uh, seating for 96, and they sold out. Uh, And it was really, really cool. And what was cool about it was the workshop consisted of three sessions. One, getting the lead out, talking about lead water, testing for lead in water. Uh, The second was uh, the importance of facility directors working with uh, the school nurses, and last but not least, coming up, rounding out the third presentation uh, was my guest today, Mr. Chris Ruth, and we talked about building management systems, and we just had a lot of fun. And I said, "Man, we got to get you on the podcast because we got to share this beyond the 96 people that were in the seats last week in St. Louis." Um, and so I got him on. He's going to talk to us here about building management systems, and uh, there's some really cool stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of best practices and things to think about that are often overlooked that he's going to share his expertise. So Chris, first, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you, where you've been, and and then we'll dig right into the wonderful world of uh, BMS systems. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate you inviting me back. And, uh, and that was a great intro. Yeah. That was a great session last week that, uh, that Charlie and the folks at school plant managers put on the, uh, they always put on a good, uh, a good show. And I appreciate being a part of that. Um, I work for a company called Integrated Facility Services. Uh, we're a mechanical contractor with offices in uh, St. Louis and Columbia uh, and Rolla and down at Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, IFS is a full-service mechanical contractor. We do heating and cooling, plumbing, building automation, fire protection, and refrigeration. And I manage our building automation division uh, in outstate Missouri. So um, I oversee all of our building automation projects. Uh, I do the estimating and engineering on those projects, and I run a team of programmers and technicians uh, that install that equipment and and get it started up and commissioned. And um, we uh, we maintain those systems for our customers and uh, make sure that everything is operating efficient and uh, maintaining those comfort levels. I always like to dig in a little deeper. How how long have you been in this? line of work and you know did you did you grow up and say hey i want to when i grow up i want to control i want to i want to have complete oversight and control of buildings and help make an impact and saving energy while providing a a healthy and learning or living environment no it wasn't uh it wasn't my first choice i've been with ifs uh for uh, almost 18 years this april will be 18 years for me um i started here um part-time as a graphic designer I was actually going to school for uh, multimedia and web design, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they hired me to uh, improve the quality of the graphical user interfaces that are designed as part of a building automation system. Um, when they were looking at, at competitors in the market at that time, they realized that it was an area where um, they had some opportunity for improvement. Uh, so they hired me on part-time for that. And, uh, and I spent uh, my, my first year working three days a week, just cranking out graphics for them. They would uh, slide me a set of blueprints and uh, say, here you go, make, uh, make graphics for this. And uh, then over time, I, I started to learn the industry a little bit more. I had a little bit of knowledge um, and a little bit of training on programming. Um, but then when I started to learn the HVAC industry, I, I became a programmer and then a uh, project manager and uh, yeah, for the last uh, for the last three years, I've been managing um, managing all of our controls operations uh, across Missouri. So that's uh, that's my my story in a nutshell. It's a pretty cool journey, uh, you know. It I is. think that, uh, and it gives you a little bit of a taste and a flavor for everything. So you figured out what what fills your cup uh, and gives you fulfillment, which is pretty cool. And I could tell when I put you in the hot seat uh, for the people that weren't at the event last week. We had two tall stools in the front and. I called them the hot seat and uh, we would put people on it and um, you know, you did a great job and you, you, you had the timing down. I didn't know you had a, I didn't know you had a stopwatch going. I was just so impressed with it. You were within like 45 seconds of your time limit. So that was uh, pretty impressive. Uh, 
I tend to end up being one way or the other. I'm, I'm typically a fast talker. So either I, I breeze through it way too quick and, and then I got I to gotta try and fill a lot of time uh, or I go too deep into the weeds and then I, I, run, uh, I run long on, on presentations. I've done, done several for, uh, for school play managers and other organizations and uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really comfortable in that setting, but uh, I got I to gotta keep the leash on to, uh, to make sure I don't go too far. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let, let's talk about building management systems and let's, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and be Mickey the dunce in this episode. Cause I think I know enough to be dangerous. I graduated high school in the early nineties. Uh, and I intended to never go back into a school again, because I thought five years of high school was plenty. Yeah. And, and I was out for two years and I got into this industry as a provider, a vendor provider. And over the years, the last 25 plus years, I've become a partner with many groups and and I found that my my cup is full by helping schools um, and and seeing what kind of impact I can make in the environments. I can't help them with the curriculum. I, w- I was not a, a good student from that perspective. But if I could help make that environment, because in in my in my professional speaking, you know, I share with folks that there's three million, roughly three million kids that are homeless or in foster care today, and so that eight hours that they get at the school five times a week. Might not be a big deal to most, but it's every deal for them. It's it is yep. this the best environment for them to be in. And so, with that said, you know, when I was in high school in the nineties, you know, you drove by a school in the dead of winter up here in Boston, and all the windows were open, and that's because the thermostats were broken, and they were all what some would call, I believe, nomadic controls, right? Yep. Turn dials. You had to go to the individual controls, or you may have had some sort of lawn works or back net system that was relatively primitive or lockdown proprietary. So um, in the whole scheme of things, you know, sadly school districts are low bid um, and the, the the company will come in, provide the low bid and say, well, now we're in here. They're going to have to keep us here. And that, that rarely happens. Um, and, and it's advanced and, 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 the, and the level in which the technology, the interoperability, all that stuff is advancing at a far greater rate in the last 20 years than the previous hundred years. Right. Yeah. So, so walk us through a little bit of what what what's a building management systems capabilities today are, um, what they control, and and how how uh, accessible are they? Um, you know, do you have to be in district, or what should you what should you look for? Sure. Yeah, building management systems are uh, they they really have grown a lot. Um, you know, one of the one of the the roots uh, was really HVAC controls, and, and I think that's still a, a term that's used quite a bit. Is um, you know heating and cooling controls, and and really that is a big part of our business. Um, and the reason for that being the the ability to recognize savings and all of that on the HVAC side. You know, so much of a building's energy is used for the heating and cooling of of the building. So. Um, Proper control on that is is very easy to to calculate an ROI and to recognize savings on that. But uh, over the years, the the industry itself uh, started to realize that there's a lot of opportunity to add more to that. Um, to, to the point where, you know, we now see uh, smart buildings and and, and fully integrated uh, building management systems, where a, a single control system will take care of the heating and cooling in the building. It can take care of all of the lighting in the building. Uh, the access and security to the building as well. Um, and we even see some stuff get into um, uh, a little bit more on the process side, which we don't see too much in schools, but even some obscure things, uh, smart blinds in in hallways and common areas uh, can be controlled by a building management system as well. So um, data room monitoring systems and, uh, and all that. So it, it really... The, the automation of, of a building's equipment has has grown far beyond just the heating and cooling side to really encompass total buildings. You just hit something that's really kind of a cool cool piece that I, I thought was amazing. Um, Horry County, South Carolina, not in Missouri, uh, but they do some great things. It's Myrtle Beach. Uh, they have some net positive uh, producing schools, meaning they're they're produce actually producing for renewable energy sources more energy than they're using and putting it back okay. on the grid. One of the things that they had that I thought was just so mm-hmm. fascinating that I never s- had seen before was they had automatic uh, window treatments, shades, blinds that would adjust according to the level of sunlight, how warm it was, and all of that. 
are those run through your building management system or is that run through something? Cause I never got to ask. I just, I walked by and the blinds were all the way down. I walked by a couple hours later and they were all the way up. And I said, what's that? And they said, it's, it's adjusted based on time of day, the amount of direct sunlight, you know, all these pieces. Is that something you program in the building management system and then it, it just does that or. Yeah, it definitely can be. And that's, um, and that's really where, um, you know, we talk about the the open protocols and the the ability to integrate this stuff together. A lot of that stuff does do its own job and it can run completely independent where you can have your HVAC system that's running a certain type of controls and then your lighting system that's doing something different and your smart blinds that are doing their own thing mm-hmm. um, with, with their own sensors and their own motors on the blinds, uh, their own lumen sensors in the building and photo eyes outside the building that can do its own work independently and, and do the, the task that it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk about integrating that into a system, uh, it, it can be, it definitely can be. And that's where, you know, we get to um, the conversations about the, the ease of use for the end users to be able to have a, a single interface to be able to access all of these various systems in their building without having to say, okay, I need to, I need to make some adjustments on my blinds, which I haven't done since last year. So now I've got to go dig up the literature and the stuff that I need and hope to find all this and hope everything still works. And then they don't visit it for a year again. Um, and, and so they each, each of them can do their own tasks individually, but where we really see the benefit for schools is when all of that is consolidated together into a single building management system. Yeah. This is a question we didn't cover this, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. And I, but I'm only doing it because I know you can cover it. Um, building management systems have built into them um, nuisance alarms or critical alarms, which, in essence, and correct me, I'm again, I'm, I'm Mickey the Dunce here. Sure. I, I like to call it catastrophic failure avoidance in most in most cases. Yep. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in my my outside experience is when working with teams, they get tons of nuisance alarms and they get so many of them to a point that they're like, it's not real, right? It's a a variable of temperature in a room that goes from unoccupied to highly occupied. The temperature can shift dramatically. It's not because the heat's running too too long or the air conditioning's not running along. It's just a lot of body heat in there or some other other aspects. how does how does one are those all built into the building management system from you know from the manufacturer? Is that something that that you guys adjust and work with people on? What tell me tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a lot of that stuff really comes down to how the system is is programmed and configured. Um, I'd like to say that the majority of those nuisance alarms are avoidable um, mm-hmm. if the system is is configured and commissioned properly. Um, and you're absolutely right on that. And that's and that's the thing that we see far too often where um, you may have a certain space temperature that throws alarms regularly, a vestibule, for example, that anytime it's cold outside with a north wind, that vestibule is going to be cold and it's going to be throwing alarms all day, every day. And then somewhere in this list of vestibule alarms, your boiler fails and you get this boiler failure alarm that gets missed because it's been ignored because of a bunch of nuisance alarms. Um, so the alarm parameters for all of that and the sequence of operation for all of that should both be looked at to make sure that they're that they're working together. Um, every space is a little different. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to say that there's a rule of thumb for what set points and, and alarm thresholds and stuff should be at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it changes. And, and that's really where the conversation with the with the end user, with the um, the school facilities folks um, or the uh, the occupants in that classroom are really uh, are really consulted and talked to. And, and the human behavior part of it is something that, that gets overlooked quite a bit um, in our industry because we just we we focus on the industry standards and we say, okay, this is what the temperature should be. And this is where it should alarm. And that's what we're going to put it at. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk to the people in the building, the the teachers or the staff that are in that room all day, every day, um, the the staff that's cleaning it afterwards and prepping it and the, the evening class that's using it and you, you learn their behaviors, um, you can really learn a lot about how that space is being treated. Um, to be able to say that, you know what, at this time of day, on these certain days, this is what the temperature needs to be. You know, we've got we've got a full class of 35 students, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 
and Tuesday, Thursdays, it's, it's reduced classes and we only have five students in there. So when you're, when you're looking at that, the demand in the space has changed. So your set points can change and your alarm parameters can change. And unfortunately, all of that information doesn't show up in a, in a specification or on a set of prints. Um, mm -hmm. That's where the, the, uh, the, good contractors set themselves apart by really engaging on that level um, to learn how these spaces are being used and uh, and not just not just jamming in what it is and say here you go deal with it yeah so uh, what i'm hearing is one the building management system shouldn't be a set it and forget it it's not something that you know we set it up uh, we'll say a new construction project, and I'm going to touch on the specific scenario because it's 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 heartbreaking what what one school up here is going through. Um, so it's not a set it and forget it. You shouldn't have an expectation of hey, we have this new construction project or we have this remodel, putting in this state of the art. Cause we're talking about smart buildings, right? We're talking about getting smarter. Um, yes, they are, but they do need um, human engagement, modification, adjustment as. As times change, people change, environments change. Um, you do need to have um, accessibility, and, and and I guess this is my my question to you because this is a story that if it hasn't made national news, it will make national news. There is a state of the art school up here that got a new building management system that was controlling the lighting, and the lighting has been in locked on position for the last almost two years. The entire building has been locked on. Um, and they're proactively manually turning off lights and in some cases removing bulbs from lights, which are still juice going to those those ballasts in those places. Um, and and what happened was the company that did the install has been sold a couple of times. And now the, the company that's got the uh, ability is is got a one point seven million dollar price tag to retrofit and rebuild. And so. It's about a seven-part question I just gave you, which is, one, <laughs> confirm that this isn't a set-it-and-forget-it environment when it comes to this smart equipment. Two, um, what are some best practices to look for? I think that the bright, shiny object and the latest and greatest technology is fantastic, but there should be some homework done. And then three, what can what how can a school district or school or anybody, for that matter, empower themselves greatest to minimize risk that, you know, company's going to go out of business or who does what, when, I guess, how, what's the best practice on that? So I just gave you, I gave you a, 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 a long winded seven part question that I expect you to answer in two minutes or less. I think I got them all here. I'm jotting them yep. as you go. Um, you're, you're set it and set it and forget it and best practices. Uh, fortunately, those, those two parts of the question have a very similar answer. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's the old adage of the the car isn't as good as the day you drive it off the lot, and, and the same thing can be said for for HVAC equipment, um, lighting and controls and everything else. Um, you know, during the startup of a system, uh, a new whether it's a new system, new construction, or a retrofit, you're you go through that that initial commissioning process, and you make sure that everything is doing exactly what it should be. Um, and then if you walk away from it and don't look at it again, it, it's going to get out of whack. And if we think about what's, what's happening, um, as we say in the field and the, in the building itself, um, you know, these, these building automation controllers are, are in essence computers, they're microcontrollers with, with memory and some sort of, of, uh, processor. And they're just computers that are sitting there running and chugging all day, every day to do a job. On the output side, you've got things like modulating actuators on dampers that spend all day opening and closing and opening and closing. And man, you would like to think that every single time you tell it to go all the way open, that it goes all the way open. But that one time that it that it slips or sticks or something, now the next time you're you're changing it. So um, you know, it's you can't just set it and forget it. Um, and it, it's one of those things that needs eyes on it. Pretty regularly, um, and there's there's several ways to approach that. Um, you know, we we see the terms retro commissioning and ongoing commissioning um, that get brought up a lot when it comes to um, buildings and when it comes to control specifically um, to be able to continually revisit those things. Um, unfortunately, that 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 typically comes at the at the cost of one thing that none of us have, and that's time. 
Um, and, and we kind of talked about this last week in, in schools themselves. We're seeing schools that are adding more and more buildings um, or additions to buildings. They're adding more square footage for facility staffs to take care of um, while seeing a reduction in the workforce. Um, and that's one of those things where, um, unfortunately, when, when you're doing your best to put out fires, um, you're not really getting ahead on, on any sort of preventative maintenance uh, or, or commissioning. And when you are, it's, uh, it's going to be filters and belts is, is about it. Um, so that, that um, the direction of forgetting it happens um, a lot where it's been said and, and they just walk away. Um, when you get to a point where it's time to troubleshoot something on a control system, the, the amount of time that it takes, depending on how long it's been since it's been touched, uh, will often lead people to just disconnect things. Um, this, this damper that we're talking about, um, that, that sits there and has been doing its job or trying to do its job. And now it's not working. Um, instead of spending the time to, to get into it, we pull the actuator off of it, we crank it closed, and now it just sits there. And it's going to mm -hmm. stay closed forever and ever because that actuator is sitting over here or unplugged. Um, so, you know, catching these things when they're in their problem phases uh, can, be, can be difficult um, if you don't have the time to do it. But we're seeing building automation systems realize the need for that. And, and our industry as a whole is becoming a little bit more intelligent as far as how it handles those things. Um, so when we have conversations about alarming uh, and making sure that alarming is is proper to where when you're getting an alarm on your damper that is stuck open or not opening all the way, that it's actually meaningful. Um, <clears throat> but even then, it just ends up on the list, right? It's You've got an alarm list over here. You've got your work order list over here. Your phone's ringing because you've got people that are uncomfortable or unhappy, and it's hard to get through all of it. Um, <clears throat> so... We're seeing a, a new trend in automation systems uh, that is called uh, Integrated Fault Detection and Diagnostics, or IFDD for short. And these diagnostics are built into where when you have a problem like that, it'll actually give you a checklist of things that, that you can verify um, to help you with the troubleshooting process. And a properly programmed automation system is going to know what those things are because we write the sequence for that. So that one damper that's doing its job has a sequence written for it. And we do a lot of checks on that sequence to make sure that it's doing what it needs to be doing. Mm -hmm. So I should be able to look at it and say, okay, this is working and this is working and this is working, but this last one here is not. And if I can capture that information and publish that to a building automation system so that the end user looks at it and says, this is the problem here that we need to address. This is why this actuator is not working. Now, all of that exploratory time that we did not have, so this job didn't get done, is reduced, but we're still getting that accomplishment of the retro commissioning or the ongoing commissioning. So um, best practices, set it and forget it, I think is encompassed in, in that conversation. Um, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the questions to ask um, would be, you know, what's if you have an existing building automation system or you're in the market for a new building automation system, um, one, one question that I would encourage the end users to ask is what, what sort of integrated fault detection diagnostics, what sort of alarming capabilities, what sort of ongoing commissioning capabilities are there uh, to, help, to help lessen that load so that they don't have to do it all themselves. Um, that was uh, best practices and set it and forget it. And I think your next question or, or next several questions had to do with, uh, with again, more of those questions on, on what to ask. Um, well, what, what to ask and how do you get comfortable? I mean, this school that's yeah. dealing with this challenge, it, th yeah. they're a good, they're a great district. I know their leadership. They've got sure. amazing leadership to me. You know, I'm sure that's, you know, businesses, all businesses or most businesses should have, the mindset of wanting to be successful and to make a difference in their client's life. There are those out there, sadly, that that show up, spray it, and see you later. Um, and, and there's there's a number of them, and, and, and sadly, many of them are in the construction business. Sure. Um, um, yeah. And so, you know, my question, I guess, is, you know, what are some, you know, I, I think that there's a, I, I guess, my question is, how do you find the balance? with reliable technology that's been in the market, because technology, the second it hits the street, is already outdated, right? The second yeah. I get my iPhone 14, it's like the car, right? You drive the yeah. car off the lot. It's not new anymore. I got my iPhone 14. 
that's already that's been that was developed two years ago. Right. It, it, you know, R and D's already got iPhone 16 probably already played out and ready to go two years from now. So I guess what is the what would be the healthy balance or what would be what what where do you look to say, all right, I need something that's bulletproof and proven technology that's been in the market. And then there's got to be a middle ground to this is the latest, greatest spaceship that's going to take me to the moon and back in two minutes and give me a, sure. a great environment. Is that a, is yeah. that a good question? I mean, I, I I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out it how to is. work properly, but I think that there's there's people that are out there, especially through COVID, right? When yeah. you looked at COVID, like the second COVID hit, all of a sudden we had workstations where you walked up to it and it scanned your brain and it told you whether or not right. It, it, but <laughs> right. but it, but it was You're a right. flash in the pan. People paying five thousand, ten thousand dollars for entry systems that yeah. were doing body scans, yeah. and we thought that was going to be a requirement. It's gone, and I think that there's something to be said about to a point of building management systems. And I, I, you know, with 18 years in the business, you've probably seen a lot of things that work and a lot of things that, that didn't work. So what are some yeah, things I've, to look for? I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of, of trendy things that pop up. There was a, uh, there was one once upon a time that I saw that, uh, that would actually um, uh, use RSS feeds or something to post to social media and the building automation system would, uh, would post to, uh, social media and that's uh, it's just something that never caught wind but it seemed like the right thing to do at a time so there's there's a lot of trends and stuff out there um that, that are just like you're saying that this is this is it for now and then it's just gone um i think the um uh my 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 closing remark in our session last uh last week is is kind of the one of the biggest things um making sure that the investment that you're making is sustainable on on a building automation system um, we hear so much about sustainability in buildings and sustainability in schools, and there's there's a big focus on the building itself, um, the, the the turf, the appliances, and all of that. And I think again, when you get behind the scenes, all of the stuff that's hidden behind walls and ceilings gets overlooked. But finding something that's sustainable on that front is uh, is important as well. Um, industry standard for years has been BACnet, the building automation control network is is industry standard protocol for years. Um, so, so whatever you're doing, make sure the words BACnet are in there. Make sure BACnet is on it. And I would take it a step further that, um, you know, BACnet has an entity uh, called the BACnet Testing Laboratory that certifies that the products that say they talk BACnet actually talk BACnet properly. There's a lot of boxes that you can check that says that this product talks BACnet without it having gone through the rigorous testing that it takes to be a BTL certified product. Um, you know, not knowing the ins and outs of the of the project that you discussed with the lighting issue, something of that magnitude tells me that it's a it's it's along the lines of a rip and replace. Um, I don't think that that is a a change out of a of a front end or a licensing issue. If we're talking one six one point seven million dollars somewhere around there. That to me tells me that we're ripping everything out and replacing everything. Um, and those conversations are hard to have when you go to somebody, especially if it's a newer system, and you say, hey, there's, there's no way to integrate to this. There's no way we can add on to this. Uh, you're not happy with the product that you have. You're not happy with the service that you're getting from your service provider. But in order for us to be able to help you at all, we got to rip this whole thing out and start over. Um, it's just not a sustainable model. But installing a BACnet system, uh, a BACnet building automation system means that if you don't like the controls, you get to a point that you don't like them, um, they're bought out or go out of business um, or a front end controller fails or you don't like the service that you're getting, um, that you can make a change on the fly without that conversation of, hey, we need to we need to rip all of this out and start over. Um, and that can be significant. I mean, you could be talking about, you know, a, a, an entire change out of a proprietary system. You know, I've I've done schools that are you know, $300,000, $350,000 just in controls change outs from a proprietary system where you can front end a backnet system for a tenth of that amount. Um, don't hold me to any of those prices, but that's, you know, it's it's all scalable. And, and that's that's a very different conversation. And like you said, with schools, you know, money is uh, money's always uh, in the conversation when you're having these conversations. And, you know, if we've got to have, uh, a conversation about removing proprietary systems to that magnitude, then uh, unfortunately, it's it's one of those things that we just uh, we just end up dealing with. And well, I mean, I mean, the utility bill for a four hundred thousand square foot high school that has every light set in the on position, um, you're you're gonna it, it's it's 
crazy how quick $1.7 million will add up in utility use, labor use of people going around and physically turning these off and then not, you know, management of, hey, did we have the bulb out of this light or did we not have the bulb out of this light? So um, it, it better to have the, those difficult conversations sooner than later because you'd hate to waste $1.7 million in utilities and then have to put $1.7 million to start saving in utilities. Well, and, and what happens, you know, when, when you're looking at a project like that, that becomes cost prohibitive because of the magnitude of it, then you, you look back at, at our, our previous conversation about, about set it and forget it. You know, these, these dampers that were abandoned in place, either closed or we're not bringing in any fresh air from the outside and, and think about the, the impact that that has, especially coming out of an airborne pandemic, you know, no fresh air is, man, we can't have this thing closed down. We can't have this thing locked all the way open because then we're bringing in a bunch of air that we have to condition and we're wasting a ton of energy um, to be able to overcome that that load. Um, and and those are the sort of things that, you know, when we when we look at cost prohibitive projects that those just continue to to sit there. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's stuff that I've, I've seen before in schools where, you know, the the, the staff size, like I said, has changed. Um, so stuff will get abandoned in place or locked open or locked closed for the sake of, of ease of use and convenience because of a failed automation system or a failed controller or poor support on the automation system. And it's, um, it's risky. It's risky. It puts the equipment at risk. It puts the, the indoor air quality at risk. It puts, uh, it puts a lot of that uh, at risk because it just gets left there. Um, so, you know, to avoid having a conversation about a cost prohibitive project, just make sure that the, the, the equipment that you're buying is, is back net. And, and that's, and that's not just the controls themselves. The, the industry again is seeing this trend and has adjusted. So now when you're buying boilers, when you're buying chillers, when you're buying package equipment, when you're buying lights and you're buying these fixtures and all of this stuff, it's all coming with back net options on it. So uh, to, to not, um, to not make those decisions when you're when you're in the purchasing or specification phase, um, you're running the risk of having something that's uh, that's not sustainable. Well, I, wanna, I was going to cover one more thing, but I want to cover something. My my question to you is: Why would anyone today not buy a system that's backnet? Um, I would say either they're already stuck. Um, they're being misled or they're being, uh, or, or it's, it comes down to pricing. Um, there's, there are some, is there a dramatic price difference between something that's back net and not back net? I wouldn't say dramatic. I mean, it's definitely, there's, there's a lot, um, there's, there's a lot of cases where, um, adding a back net communication board to a piece of device is an ad, uh, is mm -hmm. an additional cost. Um, so when you're buying a, a boiler, you do have to pay extra for uh, a backnet card. Um, we're talking a couple percentages. It doesn't double the price to make a boiler a backnet boiler. Um, and that's the case um, uh, across most equipment. Um, uh, or, or, you know, you're, you're in so, so deep or so long term with a proprietary service that, that it's cost prohibitive to, to make that change. Um, or the person that's that's provided you with a proprietary system um, is misleading you, um, telling you that BACnet is 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 dead or dying or going away. Um, and I, I can assure you that it's very uh, very much not. Um, Ashley yeah. has a standing committee for BACnet um, that's a completely regulated third party. It's it's not owned by anyone. It is very much, uh, an open protocol uh, and it's here to stay. Yeah. I don't know when it came out, but I, I learned about BACnet in Lawnworks in 1997. I don't know yeah. if Lawnworks is still in around or if that's uh, something, it is, um, it is. but, uh, but, uh, you know, they were talking about BACnet not working and it was, and, and back then every system was proprietary. Every yeah. single one. I mean, it, it, it was, it, and that was the beginning. And they, they said, no, backnet will never, it, it won't, it, it does, it's not going to be here forever. It was, it was kind of like the internet back then. Oh, the internet's, that's not going any, that's, that's not going to go anywhere. You got to dial into a phone and make funny noises and now look at us today, right? So, um, we still so, have some building automation systems that are on analog. On analog. Oh, yeah. We, we yeah. keep, we keep a, a few analog lines open for that purpose, but, uh, yeah. 
No, but I mean, BACnet's been, yeah, development began in the eighties. It's been around for, for a long time. Um, and it's been, it's been industry standard for, for several years. I want to say 2008, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, if that was the first, I won't hold you to it, but I'll, I'll have you confirm it for the, for our next time. Cause I'd like to have you on again. Um, and before we, before we wrap up, one of the things, um, one of the things that really it hit home, I actually made a, a comment and I brought Paul, who I had come out from Boston with me uh, out to St. Louis last week, was you made a comment about um, making sure you have secure remote accessibility, right? It, it, yeah. it, you don't want to have it so that you can only access your controls in district or on your network. But at the same time, you want to have that remote accessibility and you put the word secure in there. And uh, if you can touch a little bit on that, because I, I, you know, I thought about what you said and it, it just, it triggered because we hear so much about remote accessibility and remote accessibility, but you were so, um, you made such a point to use the word secure in there. Um, I'd love to learn for you to share yeah. more on why and what that, what that looks like. Yeah, secure, secure and convenient is is one of those things that is a hard balance to find um, between those two. Um, <clears throat> the as our industry shifts, we're seeing a lot more IP based devices. Actually, BACnet has an IP protocol as well, so we're seeing a lot of stuff that is uh, that is starting to live on on networks. And depending on how networks are structured uh, or the infrastructure for uh, for a particular building, school, what have you. Um, they can be riding on on the same networks or same VLANs as uh, as more critical information. Um, I I hope that that is not a common practice. I know in a, in a lot of cases that that is not where um, uh, critical sensitive information is kept completely separate network wise um, from any any other non critical systems. But we've seen issues before with, um, with retailers where, um, the building automation system and a point of sale system reside on the same network and, uh, in an unsecure building automation system that's forward facing to the real world with, with default usernames and passwords. Um, you know, the right people with the, with the wrong intentions can, can access anything uh, on your network by going that route. Um, so making sure that that is secure, um, a secure product, and that the network access to it is secure as well. Um, but there's got to be there's got to be a little bit of a conversation about the convenience of that too. Um, having a secure connection that requires the use of a desktop environment through a VPN isn't really conducive. Again, when we talk mm-hmm. about smaller um, facility size coming larger square footage. Um, I think the example that I used last week is uh, is a guy standing on a on a roof and gets a phone call about a piece of equipment for another school that's 20 miles away. Um, need to be able to pull it up on your phone, on your iPad, and be able to see the information that's going on in that building so that you don't have to go down to your truck, drive over there, go up to the roof after you've packed up and talk to several people on your way out of the school and then several people on your way into the new school. Um, you know, you could be going hours, two hours, three hours, throw a lunch break in there, depending on the time of day, from the time you get that initial phone call to the time you actually see the unit, um, it could be a significant amount of time. So using the building automation technology and and being able to see it on a mobile device is important. So you've got to find that balance between the convenience of being able to access it securely and being able to to see it without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. and there's there are again a lot of products out there that are very forward thinking in that sense, and they know um, that you have to you you have to provide that. Um, if you have a product that is uh, that's not able to be secure, um, then it, it's not one that you want to that you want to go too far down. So again, another one of those questions questions to ask for the end users is what is what does the security and accessibility of this product look like and this system look like. Um, if I've got eight, nine schools and I've got a staff of two or three, you know, how, how easy it is for, is it for us to use your system? Um, and, and how safe is it to, to make sure that we're putting our IT folks' minds at ease? Um, they've got a lot of, uh, a lot of devices and a lot of pieces. And as this technology continues, there's more and more stuff that's getting put on their networks that they're not used to seeing. Um, once upon a time, it was servers, workstations, and, and, yeah. and that's it. 
you know, we've got printers and cameras and phones and, you know, everything is touching the network. These yeah. Days. People's That's devices cool. from outside. I mean, you exactly. Talking. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. making sure that we can, that we can check those boxes for the IT people as well um, is, uh, is an important thing to, to ask. Yeah, you know, the timing of of this discussion, uh, I just actually just got off a call with an association in another state, um, and they they were asking me um, some of my thoughts, and I said, you know, you should really, when you're looking at technology, whatever it is, um, if it has to do with your two mobile workforces in your district, you have two mobile workforces in the district, the facilities department and the IT department, they need to have products that are built mobile first mobile in mind and that you're spot on um that scenario of a facility director having to go up on a roof to be checking on something whether it's a leak whether it's a rooftop unit whether it's getting uh billy or sally's kickball off the roof and there's nobody else to do it and then getting the phone a ring and saying hey it's too hot it's too cold or something and it's on the other side of town their workstation is is you know two miles away in the shop um, for them to be able to provide that exceptional customer service that everybody knows, loves, and deserves, um, for them to be able to go into their phone securely and be able to make that modification or change or just check on that space, I think is uh, is is really something that's vital in today's work environment for facilities. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, schools, sadly, public K-12 schools, I think this hits everywhere, including Missouri, wildly understaffed under budget, you know, they, they don't have the budget that they need to do things. So becoming more efficient and effective with what they have is, is key. So, um, no, that's, this is all good stuff, man. I could sit here and talk to you for a couple hours. That's why I say I we'll make that. you kind of a, a regular person on here, but I think we filled everybody's brains, getting them started with some ideas and thoughts. And this is one of those things. Our listeners are mostly, uh, facility professionals in the state of great state of Missouri. There's some people around you in Kansas and Texas and others that have reached out to me and said that this is a great podcast, but yeah. the mindset is we all should know this, right? We should all know this stuff. And there's a lot of folks coming in that are new. There's some people that are in districts that have schools that are 30 plus years old each that they have no experience with these systems and they could be coming into their first experience at the end of their career and they're going, oh man, what do I do? How do I do it? I think that's how some of these non-lawn work systems probably come in is this could be a facility director's first experience with latest technology building management systems and maybe somebody sold them something. So um, this is great. Uh, You know, uh, one of the things that impressed me uh, with you, we've had multiple conversations, you and I, we we shared the stage um, last week. Um, You're not a sales guy. You're not pushing what exactly what your business sells or provides you're a, yeah. you're a provider of information for people to make the best decision with the information that they they gather so um you know how does somebody get a hold of you what's the best way to reach you um put your information there and i can make sure that it's in the show notes as well thanks um yeah that means a lot um yeah uh best best way to reach me um cell phone and email i mean i i'm our, our company, our industry um, is a service industry. Um, I've been here, like I said, 18 years. My phone has been on for 18 of them. Um, when, you're, when you're dealing with, um, with facilities, and we do a lot more than schools. Um, you know, uh, schools is actually, um, I, just did, uh, I just did some, some year-end analysis, and, uh, and K-12 through is our biggest vertical market, um, which, is, uh, which is really exciting. But you know, when we're dealing with pharmaceuticals, hospitality, um, and, and that sort of stuff, it's, and, and even with schools, you know, you can't, you can't wait two or three days. Uh, you call me on a Thursday, I can't tell you, well, it's going to be Wednesday next week before I can take a look when you got a school full of kids and it's hot or it's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we really focus on the, on the service side, um, telephone number. I can just shout them out and uh, yeah, go yeah, right ahead. my phone number is, uh, is 314-210-6213. Um, like I said, it's always on. I'm always happy to answer any questions um, uh, about building automation or anything like that. Email is a great way to reach me as well. Um, Chris R, C-H-R-I-S-R, at I-N-T, like integrated, F, like facility, S, like services.com. Um, that's our website as well, intfs.com. Lots of good information there. And uh, 
yeah, I, um, I I enjoy talking about this. It's it's a real passion of mine. I've been in it for a long time. I've done a lot of these presentations, um, and I, I try and keep them as as light and, and informative as I can. Um, you know, I I do I do a lot of a lot of sales uh, as well, um, but. I find that if you're a, a good source of information, a reliable source of information, you're straightforward with people, then uh, then the other stuff just kind of comes. So yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that feedback. That uh, that does mean a lot. I I really try hard to to just keep it uh, keep it about the industry and keep it about the the people. Um, that's most important to to the listeners is uh, is their facilities and uh, and more importantly their students and and making sure that that's. Uh, that that's all taken care of first and um and the other stuff will come second. So phone's yeah, always always happy to answer questions. There's no cookie cutter school. It's not, you know, they're not all they're not all just uh square buildings with flat roofs. Some have slanted roofs, some are four floors, some are two floors, some are five floors. It's uh they all have their own unique intricacies and and to to have people in industry that look at that and don't just say, well, I did it here. So it should work. There is, is vital and important to the success uh, of any initiative uh, with the building. So um, yeah. no, that's great. No, we'll put all that in the, uh, in the show notes and appreciate you sharing that with everybody and, and giving us some of your time today. And uh, like I say, we'll have you back on again and uh, maybe we'll do the version 2.0 and 3.0. If there's something that's happening in the space, you know, ping us and tell us that uh, you need to get back on and share with us um, the the new body scanning, heat sensing, uh, design scanner that ties in with the building control system and hits the thermostat up and down and puts the proper mood lighting and sure. color of the bulb. So um, well, there's a there's definitely a lot to talk about. We kind of hit thirty thousand square foot view. Um, you know, we can always take a, a deep dive into um, you know into the controllers themselves. Talk about lighting. Um, you know, a couple big topics uh, for you know little teasers for uh, for future conversation is uh, is a really good conversation about the relationship between the building automation and energy management, which is very important for schools. Um, you know, when we talk about um, green buildings, that's a that's a very big uh, a very big conversation, especially in the state of Missouri. I uh, I, I sit on the board of directors for the Missouri uh, Gateway Green Building Council, um, and they uh, they do projects for uh, Missouri Green Schools and the Green Schools Quest and um, 50, 60, 70 schools a year participating in projects around being green. Um, and the energy is a, a big part of that when we talk about the energy management side. Um, so there's a, there's a big conversation to be had there um, about energy and yeah, no, I think I think I think that's a great episode for uh, the future. I just read. I think it's Boston University just made a huge investment into having the greenest building, uh, most environmentally least impactful building, and it cost a whole lot more than the return on investment. And so I think that's a conversation for us to have at a later date of, you know, when do we stop looking just at the cost savings, but look at the environmental impact that we can make and what that looks like because that's a real thing. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, whatever you want to talk about with climate change and everything else, I think yeah. that the, the reality is, is the, the more we use, the less we have. And if we can find ways to use less or find something that we can uh, use over and over again, I think those are those are real topics. And and you want to talk about Mickey the dunce. I'm Mickey the dunce with building management. System. I'm way out there with that stuff. So I'd love to to pick your brain on that in a future episode. Yeah, well, and we see these schools that are uh, adapting it for for their facilities specifically. There's a trickle down effect too, and, and a lot of those schools that are doing those projects and and focusing on the energy side, um, we see that become part of their part of their culture in their school and becomes part of their curriculum. Um, you know, so it's it's one of those things where you know, like I said, the the biggest focuses of of your listeners are, are on their facilities and more so on their students, and so there really is a conversation. Um, that's that's beneficial on all fronts and yeah we like to save energy saving energy is saving money um you can do a lot of that with building automation but um when you talk about the um the environmental responsibility and all that it's uh yeah it's a great conversation i'm looking forward to, to having with you well we will we will do that and we'll get it on the calendar so right uh, appreciate your time my friend and uh, and that'll give us a uh i'll tell you what charlie Branham, the executive director of missouri school play manager association he tells me he says and we talk about this because I was the one that yeah. said it. I said the, the average 
the average drive to and from school or, to, or the average commute in the country is 27 minutes. And so we're going to make these podcasts 20 to 30 minutes. So you could listen to an episode on the ride to work or the ride home from work or whenever. Um, we're on episode six. We haven't had one that's fallen into that time. And it's because there's so much awesome content. And I don't want to cut people short uh, that are sharing their time and their knowledge. And this is nothing short of that. So it's another awesome episode. And I, I think we're going to have to change it to uh, to a time timeline whenever. Um, but but to get people uh, on this podcast and share their best practices and share um, what they're doing. And we've got some great school districts coming up in the upcoming weeks. If you want to be on the podcast, and you don't necessarily need to be from Missouri, um, but we'd like to showcase as much as we can about what the great things are going on in Missouri. Um, but if you're in a surrounding state or you want to come on, you want to talk about something really cool that we can share, absolutely get us a, a message or a note. You can email me, Josh, J-O-S-H, at be awesome, B-E-A-U-S is in Sam, M is in Mary, dot com. And uh, we'll get you we'll get you a conversation and figure out how to get you on. Um, we are seven tenths of the way and becoming in the top 10 percent of podcasts from a ratings and review standpoint. Uh, less than 10 percent of all podcasts There's 3.6 million podcasts out there today. Less than 10% have 10 or more five-star rating and reviews on podcast platforms. So if you are listening to this, and we have quite a few listening, we've got over a 1,000 downloads on our first five episodes. So if you are listening and you like our podcast and it's worthy of a five-star rating and review, please hit that five-star rating. Please give us a review. It does help us. Uh, It builds us credibility when people look up podcasts to see what people think and what they're going to do to give their time. If we haven't earned that five-star rating and review, let us know. Send me an email. Let's have a conversation. Or wait and give us a little bit more of a chance. We're only six episodes in, but we want to bring uh, an, a, a gold standard level podcast for facility professionals um, and share all the awesome that's happened in Missouri. So if you can do that or if you need help on how to do that, just send me a note. I'll send you a link and show you how to do it. But we appreciate everyone listening and taking the time. We're having a lot of fun, and we're going to bring another guest here uh, next week for you. And in the meantime, I hope you have an awesome week. Thank you.